When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, the podcast where we cover all the pop culture we love to hate, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. I'm looking at you, Jax Taylor. I'm your host, Ryan Bailey. Oh, yeah. Hey, you yeah. be smoking. Yeah. You give 
Welcome to an all-new episode of So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is Ryan Bailey. Welcome to your Thursday episode. We are now so close to that sweet, sweet weekend. All we have to do is just coast through this Thursday, and then we get to Friday. So it's pretty much at the weekend as of today. If you're at work, remember to not work nearly as hard as you've worked the first three days. Your bosses will understand. They are completely cool with it. Tell them Ryan Bailey, so bad it's good, has given you permission to half-ass it. I've been half-assing it since the 80s, and it has always worked out uh, pretty mediocre for me, but that's all you want. Mediocre. I am a C level student at best folks. I am so sorry. I wasn't there for you Wednesday. Um, I am having some computer issues because 
my computer is full. Did you realize that computers can get full and then the memory, it slows everything down and then you can't process audio files and then it gets to be three in the morning and everything goes kablooey. So I am so sorry that I, um, but there's, let's face it, there's too much content here. There's so much content that you guys probably needed a break. You probably like, whoo, I can go about my, it's like when, um, when social media goes down, there was one day a couple of months ago that Instagram went down and it, it might've been the most freeing day of my life. I was like, Whoa, what? And I, 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 did you guys know they have these, uh, they're like, uh, they have covers on their books. They have words and they're like, tell little stories. I discovered a, uh, a book that day and it was amazing. I looked up, I saw I was, I was with my parents. I had no clue because I was on Instagram most of the time. So I'm sure it's good to have a break from me and this voice sometimes, but I, I'm back. So now you had your day and now I'm back and that's it. You have to deal with me. Uh, I hope you guys are good though. Um, I got to tell you, there is so much, it, what, what is that feeling? Am I the only, you know, we're getting closer to the holidays. There's a nip in the air. It has gotten darker, of course. And I think I really am excited to see what December brings, you know? I'm excited. It's different than last year, right? In little ways. We still have the pandemic, but we have more of a grip on it, I guess. And I'm kind of excited to see what we do with it. You know, do we appreciate it? Do we get to hang out with friends more? Are we going to do some secret Santas or whatever those holiday? God, I would, you know, the only thing that sucks for, you know, working um, just with a very like, you know, by yourself primarily um, and being distributed by our heart radio, but, but working by yourself is that I, I don't have any holiday parties to go to. Should I rent myself out as like a plus one to holiday party? Like I want to go to those holiday parties that we used to have where like your coworkers would get wasted and like hook up with each other. And then the next day or like whenever you go to work next, like everybody's quiet because you saw like <laughs> you saw them like be completely wild and just, uh, I miss that. I miss people embarrassing themselves with free alcohol and food. I feel like there should be a place for me to, I, you know what? I'm sure I'll figure something out. Um, big news. We're getting further news that Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian are, are definitely a thing. We're getting these little, you know, little blurbs pushed out in the media. And you know, what I wanted to talk about in regards to that is, um, you know, and you know, if you're with kids right now, kick them out of the car, get them, get them away. Um, you know, get, you know, it's just the Kardashians take an F and break. Get the F out of here for a while. The Kardashians and the Jenners need to just, I said this yesterday on Twitter. I said they need to schedule their face surgeries or their body surgeries right now. So they give us, so they can heal and they can give us some time away from them. They need a two month, like the Travis Scott thing. It is you know, more information is getting pushed out out. And now of course the Houston police walked back their statement of somebody, uh, injecting drugs into the crowd. The EMS worker that initially said that happened said that that didn't happen now. So of course that turned out to not be true, but it's wild. If you study pop culture and if you study, you know, these kind of events is that now everybody is wa- watching their back. You know, they're afraid to get sued. Even Drake, who was a special performer at the time, is 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 being named in lawsuits now. But I guess the hard thing is, is that, you know, not everybody, not everybody, we don't need every Kardashian family member's thoughts on this. 
on this quote unquote tragedy, as they call it. We, you know, it's like we, they, you can just see Chris sending out of text of like, guys, I'm going to need everybody to send out um, an Instagram story saying this was bad. Even you, Rob, come on, please pass this along to Food God. Even Food God reposted Kim's in his story. It's like, Food God, we don't need your opinion. Like, it just, I don't know. There, there's something that just doesn't sit well with me because it becomes a little tasteless because it becomes about money and you feel like it's more about protecting their money than it is the actual victims of this tragedy. And uh, it'll be very curious. I'm very curious to see what happens in terms of Travis Scott and performing because one of the most popular artists right now, arguably one of the popular artists in this last five year period and now people are backing away from him. You know, I'm curious. He's headlining Coachella this year. Um, and I'm curious if they keep him on the festival lineup. But it's like the other headliner for Coachella is Rage Against the Machine, which I've seen once. And, and that's another. So it's like two really intense headliners. It's like Coachella is all about being in the sun and fun and all of this stuff. And it's like going to be the most intense three day period of your life. Um, so we got to keep our eyes out on that. Of course, you guys, Taylor Swift's, uh, version, uh, her, her Taylor's version of the iconic legendary album red comes out on Friday. Uh, I, like I said, I went to Kate Kennedy, uh, who did the podcast be there in five. She, uh, performed in San Diego on Sunday and had a Taylor Swift dance party. I got to tell you, man, I am, I'm a Swifty through and through. I, I love her. Like I really, and I feel like she tries to like really think things through and does the right thing. But then you compare that to Kanye and Kanye and Taylor have had a feud now for what feels like 80 years, but it's very interesting how they approach these things. You know, it's almost like Batman and the Joker, Kanye, of course, being the Joker. And it's like, they both take very different roads to get to where they want to go. But with Taylor, I feel like she's always, I don't know. She's always, she's, I don't know. I feel like she thinks about everybody and she still managed to produce some really amazing art. And Kanye thinks about himself a lot and still produces some really amazing art. Um, but their relationship, I kept thinking, I was listening to so much Taylor this week. And the whole ride back from San Diego was listening to Taylor. And I was just thinking of like, she's been doing this since she was a kid. And, you know, she stands up for what she believes in. Remember, she um, she got into a lawsuit with the uh, radio station DJ that grabbed her ass uh, when they were doing like a, a photo op. And he supposedly grabbed her ass and she took him to court and she won. And all she asked for was one dollar. She asked for one dollar and she won and she got that dollar. And, you know, to go through all of that, to go, it was like a whole court case, which she testified at. Because she wanted to make sure that is not, you don't do that. And I believe she actually donated to Kesha. If you guys remember the pop artist Kesha, uh, who went through the court case with Dr. Luke, she donated to Kesha as well when, uh, you know, her and Dr. Luke were in their fight for contractual dispute and all of the, uh, I guess, mental and sexual harassment that Dr. Luke, the music producer, put Kesha through. Um, I don't know. I just love, you know, Taylor seems to always be looking out for other people, and I really respect that. And I think she just makes some bops. She makes some damn good music, and music way beyond her years. I did not plan on having a Taylor Swift speech in this, but it really is cool that we, we live in a day and age where it's like we have these great artists that I think are just really putting out some 
some really great stuff. So I cannot wait to hear that album. So I feel like we're about to get hit with a big Taylor Swift PR machine. Um, and of course, to combat that, I believe, and this is very Kanye, I believe on Friday we are getting the Donda, um, uh, you know, he's re-releasing the album like with bonus tracks, which I think is very funny if he does do it on Friday just to mess with Taylor. And that's just like what cracks me up. It's like all these guys that are like talking about God all the time. They always do the meanest, lowest kind of crap to mess with people. I don't know. I always try to figure that out. Like, I I guess maybe it's like, it's like uh, Mary Cosby. Like you can't make like, don't try to figure out Mary Cosby because you can't figure her out. There's screws loose there. You know, it's entertaining to watch, but you can't make sense of it. It doesn't make sense because it shouldn't make sense because it doesn't even probably make sense to Mary. She goes, flies by the seat of her pants, a great real, reality character. But at the end of the day, I you can't, you can't ever argue with it. It's not, it, w- it wouldn't be fun because she'll just like, she'll go like 180 and hit you with a karate chop. And you're like, Mary, I didn't know you studied with karate. And she's like, I didn't know either. It, it, none of it will make sense. Um, you guys today, I, uh, I have a great guest. Like, I mean, just, just somebody that has inspired me and it's a a quick 40 minute interview. Her name is Rabia Chaudhry. And if you don't know Rabia, you, you should know Rabia. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. And of course, in the intro, I'll tell you a little bit about her. But if you remember what was a podcast phenomenon, Serial, the first season about Adnan Syed, um, or Saeed and, Rabia was the neighborhood friend of their family and, and, and got this story, this attention, uh, uh, got attention around this story and was able to, you know, pass this on to Sarah Koenig and, you know, got Serial going. And of course she documented this story as well in her own, um, podcast, which is just amazing. And they're on multiple seasons now called Undisclosed where they actually, and we talk about this, they're able to go into, um, you know, wrongful convictions, kind of what, what Kim Kardashian is trying to do, which we talk about briefly in this. And if you follow on Robbie, Robbie on uh, Twitter, I think she's just an amazing tweeter, which is just the funniest thing to say about anybody. She's an amazing author. Uh, she has written the book Adnan story, um, which, uh, you should check out. She also was a part of producing the HBO documentary about Adnan, which I thought was very well done as well. Um, but she is just somebody that has inspired me in podcasting for years and years and years. And I know we talk about completely different things, but I would not be here or be inspired to do this if it wasn't for, uh, Rabia. And the fact that I got to speak with her, she is, I think, uh, a genius at what she does. So smart and so not needing to talk to somebody like me. I want to make that clear. She has no need and she, but she did. She supports like, you know, independent. Like I just, I just think that is so cool of her to support somebody that she doesn't need to support by lending her voice to this podcast. So I want to give a huge thank to Rabia and just to celebrate. I, I just, it really, it, really made my heart feel so full. So we're going to get right into that interview because I just want you to listen to her. Um, but after that, cause I, you know, just in case Robbie is listening, I'm not going to make her sit through a 30 minute housewives thing. We're going to do the Robbie interview right now. And then when we come back after Robbie, we'll do a commercial break maybe. And then, um, and then I want to play you 
Um, it turns out Teddy Mellencamp has a new job as a correspondent for Extra, and I've got a seven-minute video where she is interviewing Dorit Kemsley. <laughs> Dorit! I'm Dorit Kemsley! About the unfortunate uh, home invasion that she went through. So we're going to go through that um, and, and see what we think about that together as a podcasting listening audience. And then we'll call it a day, and then I'll talk to you guys on Friday again. So without further ado, you're going to hear an intro for Rabia right now, where I'm just so you'll you could always I'm just so excited to talk to these cool people and um so here she is Rabia Chaudhry uh ladies and gentlemen welcome back to iHeartRadio so bad it's good today it's so good it's great I have somebody as I've been talking about recently in the podcast that I've uh, wanted to talk to people that really have inspired me over the last decade and today we have one of them. And it's so interesting because of pop culture and social media and things that we really have grown to appreciate in this last decade. This person is, to me, at the forefront of all of these things, of podcasting, of social media. Uh, our guest today is Rabia Shadri. She's an attorney, an advocate, the executive producer of something that you might uh, have heard about, seen about, The Case Against Adnan Saeed, author of the New York Times bestselling books, Adnan story. Uh, and in 2022, she'll be doing Fatty Fatty Boom Boom. Uh, she is the co-host of three podcasts, one of which, Undisclosed, has accumulated 360 million plus downloads uh, with its focus on wrongful convictions that has led to the exoneration, listen to this, of nearly a dozen defendants. And she's just one of the best uh, twitterers, tweeters out there. Uh, Rabia Shabri, thank you so much for being here. Gosh, thanks so much for having me. I got to make sure that's on my gravestone, like one of the best tweeters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's so funny because I remember I was just checking my Google search and I put uh, my Gmail search and I put your name in and yeah. I was emailing myself about you in 2014 of like, no listen way. to her on this podcast, listen to her on this podcast. And of oh, course, so flattered. Gosh. well, I mean, is it flattery though? That was one of my first things is that, you know, we came to know you because of cereal. We came to know you. And when it's involving somebody that you care about involved, like this whole thing kind of opened up to you, maybe a new world, a new direction because of this one case, but this involves something so close to your heart. Is it, is it bittersweet in a way? I mean, look, I have been doing when I, when I put in my bio that I'm an advocate, I've been um, doing community advocacy for a very long time. Well, before cereal, by the time cereal came yeah. out, I was already a columnist for Time Magazine. I, I you know, I, I had a lot of experience doing public advocacy on different issues, a lot of them related to post 9-11 civil rights stuff and, and things like that. So um, to me, being in media was always part of my work because that's how I saw you move the needle. What was new was podcasting. I had never I didn't know what a podcast was until Serial came out. My parents <laughs> still don't know what a podcast is. Actually, mine don't either. <laughs> My parents have no idea what I do. They're like, we thought you went to law school. <laughs> <laughs> we were so proud of you. What I happened? Know, yeah. Um, yeah. So to me, that was like when I realized what a podcast was, the reach it had, the low bar to entry, frankly, I was like, this is one more tool. This is one more advocacy tool. I've been writing op-eds and blogging and doing public speaking and let's do this. Let's use it. Was it surprising to you, though, the popularity or I mean, it really did put a huge spotlight on you and you you've been able to do so much good with it where a lot of people have done so much bad with it. I mean, did it even surprise you, even though you knew it was a new avenue? Oh, no, it was shocking. I mean, I don't think anybody, especially with Serial, and I wasn't a producer of Serial. I had just taken the case yeah. to the producers and I don't think anybody expected the the, <laughs> the the reaction to it. It was like an overnight phenomena. And um and that was really, I mean, I know 
I mean, to me, to this day, I can't really listen to cereal and enjoy it because it's too close to home. And in that time, it was maybe one of the hardest periods of my life because <clears throat> there was so much happening and Adnan and his family relied on me to be like the person facing the media, coordinating the legal stuff, dealing with fundraising. And it was just overwhelming. Um, so it was bitter, sweet, um, but also necessary. It was hard necessary i mean like so yeah Yeah. cereal was not a great experience for for me and adnan's family and that it stressed us the heck out (laughs) well i mean i wouldn't expect it would be but you know this show talks a lot about pop culture and all of a sudden you guys were at this forefront or the cereal show was at this forefront of kind of merging the two it became pop culture it became i remember thanksgiving that year me and our guests sat around after dinner and we listened to the newest episode together. And it wow. was one of the weirder experiences because we were all hanging on every word, everything. Yeah. And, and that was also the Reddit thread started popping up and it was a whole new world for me in particular of like, and, and we see where it's gone now, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, when, when they spoofed it on Saturday night, Live, oh, yeah. like, oh my God. I mean, then, you know, then, you know, like the stories arrived. Adnan couldn't believe it to this day. Adnan's kind of like, He's still not quite sure. He's like, is it, was it really that big? Did that many people? I'm like, it's literally the biggest podcast in the history of podcasting. Yeah. And it's launched probably a million podcast ships since. Um, and, and some great shows that do a lot of investigative work and some really good work. So yeah, I it I didn't anticipate it becoming part of pop culture that the the name Adnan would be rolling off of people's tongues. Oh, yeah. And, I mean- and yeah. Uh, I guess the question uh, before we get onto all the amazing things that you've been working on uh, since is that how is he, you know, what is your communication? What is next? Because I was the free Britney case, and this is a horrible uh, comparison, but I was saying she went in there, she spoke to the judge, we all heard it. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to free her today. Like it's all going to happen. And then (laughs) we realized the wheels of justice move so, so painfully slow. And even when Cyril came out, I was like, okay, so this is like done. Like he just gets to be out now or or there's reasonable doubt. Where are we today? Where we are today is, I mean, like we won a two, we won two appeals, and uh, the, they had to, the courts determined that he deserves a new trial. But the the prosecutor kept appealing the case up. So when we got to the highest court, this happened two years ago. Um, his case was the appeal was denied, and his conviction was reinstated, which kind of puts you back at square one. And it took ten years to travel that route, that appellate route. So yeah, it takes so long. So basically, we are in the process of starting kind of from the ground up. Like I said, that was about almost two years ago. It takes it, 18 months, I think, for the last 18 months, we've been working with a new legal team and we're probably going to be in court again before the end of this year. Um, but, you know, we what we realize is that the, the courts are really slow. They're very frustrating, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. So we've been looking at political solutions, right? We've got elections coming up. Let's get the right district attorney in. Let's get the right attorney general in. We help pass, me and a group of advocates help pass um, a new law in Maryland this year called the Juvenile Restoration Act which allows juvenile lifers to get resentenced because the Supreme Court says giving juvenile lifers, giving juveniles life sentences is cruel and unusual punishment. So Adnan qualifies under that to get resentenced, but all of these hmm. things will take a horrific amount of time. Um, I'm, but I'm hopeful. I, I think at, we, there, we have multiple avenues. And believe it or not, even with all the publicity this case has gotten, there's all this DNA testing that hasn't been done. Like the victim, her name was Heyman Lee, a rape kit was taken from her to this day. That rape kit has not been DNA tested. I mean, can you believe that? 
I, I can't believe that. And I, I don't understand why is it, I mean, are, are the other side fighting against that being tested? Is that how that works? Yeah. At the time that um, they took it, I mean, literally the prosecutor put on the file, like he wrote on the file, hold testing. Like they don't, they didn't want it tested because they had, they had already arrested a nun and they had a theory. They didn't want to undermine the theory. They agreed to, the state agreed to some very limited testing a few years ago. And they tested things that were like in the vicinity of her body, like this piece of rope and there's a fingernail a clipping. They did do that. Um, but how can you not test the rape kit of a young woman who might, you know, it's very likely she had some kind like sexual, she was sexually assaulted. You know, the way she was found, her skirt was hiked up. Um, yeah. her, her bra was like pushed up and, you know, her clothing has never been DNA tested, um, itself. So if somebody touched her bra, her skirt, never been DNA tested. So it's, so we're going to be, we're going to be looking at all of that and, but it all takes time and we expect the state to fight us every step of the way. And then Adnan, I mean, he's used to his life has been behind bars. So, I mean, I imagine he has a yeah. life behind there, but how is his spirit? Does he, is he able to keep uh, his spirit up or is it just. Yeah. You know, hope is a dangerous thing. And so I think after serial, then we won these appeals. Like everybody, we were literally. It's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. And it's also scary. I mean, like literally before serial, I never, ever discussed with Adnan the possibility of him coming home. It was always like, all right, we're just going to take it one appeal at a time. But we started making plans for him to come home, where he's going to live, what he's going to do. And then it was really traumatizing when his conviction was reinstated. It was a dark year for all of us. He's doing much better now. Um, now his concern really is his parents are really old and sick. His mother has stage four cancer. His father is suffering from like post-COVID dementia. He's in his mid-late 80s. The fear is that he that that he might not make it home. <clears throat> yeah, while they're still around. That's really the biggest fear. Otherwise, he's he's doing okay, and he knows that there's a lot of great work being done on his case. We have a great team working on his case right now. Are you allowed to listen to podcasts in jail, in prison? Is that yeah. a that okay? Um, uh, so uh, on to uh, a palate cleanser right now. Only murders in the building. I know you're oh, a fan yeah. of that. Uh, are you going to sue? I feel like they're st- stealing directly from. Is there any? Wasn't that great? It was fantastic. And I, what I loved was that they made fun of all the stuff that we know it's true. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's well-deserved, but also it was loving. Like it felt like it was coming from like family. Like it's like yeah. they, they got it. They got us. They got our obsession. They got our, you know. Um, the fans even the outside. Fans. the It's oh, great. I thought it was fantastic. It was so light um, hearted at the same time, obviously it, I mean, it kind of showed that podcasters can make a difference like on these cases. Um, and I'm so excited for how, se- like the end of the season. Oh, I'm like, perfect. Are you telling me the next season's going to be wrongful convictions? Because that's what it looks like. <laughs> you better get on this thing immediately. I mean, well, it, I it, mean, it, I'm like, it, call me, man. Like somebody call me. Get, get me, me in the me. writer's room immediately. Like, well, it also just had so much heart, you know, like, and, and I love the pace of it. it was such a different pace than uh, normal shows that we get. So it's like oh, this yeah. different vibe getting into it. Um, but I love the rock star element they treat these podcasters with in the beginning. And, and I do think that's, I think it's this weird, like I said, uh, you know, blending of pop culture and, and true crime is that you, uh, have been treated like a rock star at times. And that's gotta be very interesting to, like you said, you've done this before you were on serial, you know, you went to, uh, was it George, George Mason, uh, school of law, you know, you, you have put your body and soul into this work before, uh, serial came along. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, like I said, I, I, I've done tons of public speaking, but I never did it to audiences that I encounter now where 
like I went to, um, I, I was part of a true crime show a few weeks ago with a, a good friend of mine, Patrick Hines, who has a couple of amazing shows that are funny. And, and you think true crime can't be funny. And I really was kind of offended by it the first time I heard it, the, this idea, but actually I love his shows. And there were people there wearing shirts with my names on it. And I'm like, what is like, it's, it's different. It's, some of the fandom is, is just out of this world. I, is there I, yeah, a weird, the weirdest experience you've had with a, a, a fan encounter? I mean, I think what's, I think one of the strange, not, I don't know how to, it's all, okay. I feel conflicted because I want to honor how people feel, but it's a really, it's really hard to understand how to react. I've had a lot of people, a lot over the years, when they come up to me to talk to me, just start weeping. They just start weeping. And because they're so moved by the case, they want to know about Adnan. They are, they feel like it's a huge tragedy. They feel so much sympathy, but it's like, I, it's, it's an odd situation. Cause I'm like, how do I console the stranger who's weeping about, <laughs> you know, this case <laughs> that, that I've wept about for years. That's kind of weird. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, like I said, this recent show that I went to, I had to be, I kind of snuck out the back afterwards, but people, some, a group of, I guess, fans had, figured out where we were going to be. And they screamed like we were the Rolling Stone. I'm like, what do you feel like? I'm just like, I'm just a mom. I'm just going home with my kids. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. I mean, it's, and you talk yeah. about new uh, true crime pods coming on the scene. It almost feels like, you know, you're the stones and there's like new rock bands coming <laughs> out there. No, but it is. It's like, that's why I think America, for so many reasons, it's bizarre today. But one of the reasons is that one of our greatest exports is our pop culture. And we find different things to build these huge fandoms around. Luckily, this one does some good. You know, with Undisclosed, you have been able to actually have some real success. But I mean, do you think Kim Kardashian is copying you? Do you- oh, God, I don't think so at all. But you know what? <laughs> I am so... I. I- more power to her. Right. I mean, like I, I, when people were like, Oh my God, can you believe I'm like, that is amazing. I am so thrilled that she's doing this. I am in awe and inspired that she's, she doesn't need to go to law school. Okay. Kim Kardashian does not need to go. <laughs> but she, right. So, but, but the fact that she's that dedicated, yes. this, I'm like, you know, I'll, honestly, I I'm in awe of her and she's a shiro to me um, for all of that. And, and, you know, I hope, we need lots of people doing this work. I mean, what? there's there and there have been people doing this work well before Serial, well before I ever got involved in innocence work. For decades, people have been doing this work just quietly, silently, uh, behind the scenes. I mean, the first thing I had remembered watching one of the documentaries that really stuck with me as a kid was uh, the West Memphis Three, the yeah. the Paradise Lost, and things like that. But it just is interesting the proliferation of how big this has gotten. Uh, you know, there is a podcast for every crime. There is a Reddit thread for everything. Um, uh, your emotional makeup, though, are you fried in terms of like you deal with some of the darkest um, parts of the, you know, human emotion with, with the things that you deal in? Are you pretty steadfast? Do you lock your like real emotions away? Because I don't know how you do the things you do every day. You know, what's like, I, I, I think there's a certain kind of, you're right, emotional and psychological makeup of people who are basically drawn to like mysteries and crime. I mean, like I just got, I, I, I just got this, which is like the Ameri- like the best American mystery in suspense. And I ended up ordering two by mistake because I was so excited about this. So I've, <laughs> I have like been, I have just been, I just grew up with this like um, obsession about the, these kinds of things, like both true crime and crime fiction. I've always want, loved murder mysteries. I've always wanted to figure out who did what. And then as an attorney, like, you know, you're never working in happy spaces. You're always working in dark spaces, no matter what you're doing. Um, So it's kind of nice to sometimes um, see on the end of all that work, years of work, that there's somebody who's gotten their freedom and a family that maybe finally has a chance to heal. 
Um, but I even when on my downtime, I'm embarrassed to say this, but in my when I'm not working on one of my cases, I'm listening to a true crime podcast. I'm watching a true crime documentary. I just finished one the other night on Showtime called Buried. Oh my God. Oh, I just read about that. Was it good? It's insane. It is insane. You got to watch it. Yeah. Um, In fact, your new podcast, Nighty Night, is is Mm -hmm. deals in, I mean, it's spooky season, you guys. This podcast is something that's going to, you know, you should listen to while you go to bed, but then you're not going to sleep because it's just spooky stories. I mean, you, it's another kind of thing of like, it's eerie, it's spooky. You got a great voice. So I I recommend that to you guys as well. Um, But, uh, I guess when you get into all of this stuff, do you remember the first moment as a child or a young adult when you were like, this is the story that made me want to go to law school? Do you remember the specific moment? Oh, no, I ended. No, I I, <laughs> I remember the first I, I distinctly remember the first time I was trying to solve a mystery. And there I had a friend who her family owned this really beaten up motel and there was an abandoned trailer in the back of the motel. And I was like, you and I, like me and my friend, we're both eight years old. We're going to solve this mystery of this abandoned trailer. So, you know, I remember that. I remember Nancy Drew, going from Nancy Drew to um, Agatha Christie. The truth is I was a pre-med student for three years and I was a, I'm a failed doctor, actually. I ended up going to law school um, because med school was just not going to happen. But in our community, the South Asian community, if you, if your parents immigrated here, you damn well better try to go to med school. I mean, like they didn't go through all that for you to do anything else. So I, I, I am part of a legion of people who just ended up um, trying to figure out what to do. And I ended up, I took the LSAT just on a whim and I scored phenomenally. And I, I got admitted to law school without even applying to do different, two different schools because of my scores. So I thought this is where I was meant to be. Wow. Um, uh, and also, this is a little off the beaten pack, uh, path, but I saw that you were tweeting about The Last Duel, which I just saw. And yeah. you, I mean, Matt Damon, they, why did why why do you choose to have the chin beard and the the bowl cut? I mean, you, I, he, he lets a, uh, Adam Driver look really good. And then he looks like uh, really a goofy guy. And it's like you said, there's no accents in this movie. You guys, the accents are all well, over the place. The thing is, everybody has their own accent. I mean, like his wife, not like, you know, exactly. Like they, they, the decision they made was like, we do not care about time, place, <laughs> authenticity. <laughs> We're just going to go with whatever. And the same person will act, the same character will have different accents and different scenes. I know that too. <laughs> and I think I, I think movie. I still liked it. I was like, I think I still really liked it. Yeah. It was, it was a great movie. I, I mean, you have to be a little careful. You can be triggered if you, if you're, um, if you're a survivor of sexual assault, it was not easy watching those scenes over and over. Uh, but it was a pretty tremendous Pretty tremendous film, yeah. And it shows uh, how women were treated back then, and now women are treated perfectly. So it all worked out in the all end. All worked yeah. out. <laughs> no more sexism. No more racism. We're great. <laughs> um, what is some of the proudest moments of your career thus far? Uh, I mean, are you do you allow yourself to be uh, prideful in what you do? I mean, you know what's crazy is like so with with my with my amazing team at Undisclosed, two of the lawyers I work with, we have been able to make huge changes in half of our defendants, which is about 12 cases. The other 12, you know, or so we are still working on, and we continue to work on the case with the legal teams after that we've reported. But at the end of the day, it's kind of, for me, people look at Adnan's case and think, oh my God, so much success. And to me, it's, it's a failure at this point. I mean, like we haven't succeeded in what I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to feel true pride or accomplishment until I get Adnan home. The rest, every time one of our defendants is exonerated or I read about another exoneration or some kind of, you know, win in the criminal justice, I'll cry a little bit out of happiness, but I'm also crying because 
a non-assault prison. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm really going to be able to feel like that. I just feel like I'm just, I'm working for that moment. Um, and I can't even imagine what life's going to be like after that moment. Um, Undisclosed is, is, is been one of the most successful podcasts uh, to this date out there. How did you start with that podcast? And now how has your process changed in putting that podcast together? Well, after Serial ended, we, I mean, part of the problem with Serial for, for me and other lawyers were, were, was that they didn't have a lawyer involved. They didn't have a real criminal investigator. So we're like, wait a minute, you missed all this other stuff, but also you got some things wrong. Um, and so I was blogging about it. These other lawyers were blogging about it and nobody's reading our 40 page blog as blogs on cell phone evidence, right? Nobody's reading that. And so a lot of people was like, were like, just, you know, start your own podcast and take everything you've written and turn it into episodes. And we did, we just, and we put out a press release saying that we're going to be following up the case. And then like magazines, I swear to God, like Rolling Stone, the New York times, I mean, all these huge publications put out these notices saying that serial part two is coming from the advocate, you know, non-saves advocate. So people had these incredible expectations because serial is incredible storytelling and beautifully produced. And we were three people, three lawyers in our closets. And it sounded like absolute shite. We, we, I edited the, <laughs> I edited the first couple of episodes. I don't know what I'm Yeah, saying. no, I mean, it's really interesting. You have to put it together. Usually yourself. It's like, it's really, it's part of the, uh, not the charm, but it's part of coming up and podcasting. You, you know? know what? I think it's, it's, trial by fire and it's a necessary learning curve and it's good to know like what you don't know and we very quickly realized we don't know a lot of what we're, we don't know have we need to bring on some professionals and so you know and we were just going to do it as a vol- we, we were just volunteering nobody was getting paid for anything and then we started getting offers for sponsorships and we're like okay well we'll take the money and put it into his legal defense Adnan's legal defense fund and we did that we still didn't take a dime of it but when we finished which was like I think 40 episodes later we suddenly started getting contacted from um Innocence projects and defendants saying, "Hey, can you look at our case next? Can you?" And it, it was there's just so many out there, and so our process has changed in that now we have um, we were just completely winging it with our first season with Adnan. It's like, oh, you want to script something? Okay, I'll script something. You script something. Who wants to talk about what? We had no idea. Now it's obviously we're scheduled. We have a production schedule. Yeah. We have we're we're with Midroll Stitcher right now, so you know they expect us to be uh, producing. We have uh, and it's it's the three of us have become business partners in it. It's become my full time work. It's how we can afford to do the investigations for defendants who cannot afford it themselves. Um, and so yeah, it's it's become it was not my full time job. I had a very amazing job um, other than doing like, you know, but three, four years ago, I, I finally quit. And I said, I can't, I have to do this full time. What do you, uh, I imagine Undisclosed gets a lot of requests to look at their case, to look at yeah. their case or something like that. What, um, what do you guys look for in terms of like, who uh, can, you know, who can build a, a podcast uh, season over? I mean, that's got to be one of the hardest things that you guys have to deal with. Yeah, the hard part about a lot of it is that uh, many of the cases are really old, 20 to 30 years old. So you're, you don't have records, you don't have witnesses have died, you're, you don't have access to evidence. So what we look for, number one, is, um, is this some, if it's, if it's a case that's been covered by other media entities, then we probably won't do it because we're looking for somebody who really just hasn't gotten a shot yet. Um, we want to make sure that we, there's actually stuff that can be done. So if you have somebody who's like, filed every appeal, done every DNA request. There's just nothing left to kind of do. We, we also, there's kind of, most of the time, we, there's no point in doing that. Um, obviously, we look for innocence factors. Um, anything that has, you know, as a podcaster, you're like, oh my God, if it has like 
archival, you know, audio. That's amazing courtroom footage, <laughs> you know. Uh, Let me ask you one question. Do you have archival footage before we get into this? Yeah. Yeah, you don't know, we ask. And also you want to make sure the lawyers are on board. Sometimes the defendant or family contacts us and lawyers like, heck no. Well, I don't want immediate attention on this. So there's a lot of factors that have to fall, fall into place. Um, but most of the time, and I think what's most fascinating to me is when you have actual innocence projects come to us, it's because they have hit the end of the road. So when you have an innocence project saying, well, we just don't know what to do anymore. Can you help us? You kind of feel like pretty, like, damn, <laughs> if, I've, if they can't do it, they think we can do yeah, it. Yeah, Luke Skywalker, you're my only hope. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. that's no, so No, we intense. really do want to help. We really want to help in those cases. Um, uh, do you ever get into a case where, um, you discover like, I think this person did it actually. I don't think, I mean, do, does that even happen for you or is there always, you know, looking yeah. past that? No, I mean, like the first, when we start looking at a case, we probably spend six months to a year just vetting it. Unless it comes to me again from an instance project, they've done the vetting. So I'm already like, you know, I don't have to really dig deep for the innocence factors, but other cases I've had cases where I've looked at it and I said, I don't know. And so then we just put it aside and we don't report on it. I, there's no point in reporting on something that's just going to hurt a defendant because we could be wrong, right? So um, I'm not going to do that. We, we spend a long time. It's not until we are as convinced as humanly possible that this person is innocent that we actually start, that we're like, okay, we're going to report on this case and we're actually going to do a full investigation. Um, I, I always speak about the matrix moment with uh, anything that you really love and put everything in the matrix moment is when you look at things and all of a sudden you see the zeros and the ones and you see how it's all pieced together. And so oh, I love image. it, I you love know, it. and, yeah. and I figure that's got to be like you with, uh, with the law and with these cases is all of a sudden you can see the zeros and the ones and not just the image that's presented out there. Is that, is that how it is? Or is that how it's become for you? It's the the best part of doing this work, even when like a little part of the story that you can't figure out how something happened or how a person got some information or how the police found something they shouldn't have found. And you figure out that little piece, like I dance with you. I'm like, yeah, you know, just fitting those pieces together is, is probably like personally fulfilling to me. Um, but yeah, when those things, and usually that happens after I've spent 16 to 18 months gathering as much evidence as I can, um, and then actually starting to script, I'll create outlines as I go. And then as I have, then I have a timeline that's created. I have, there's so much documentation that goes into this, into creating one episode. I think one episode I want to disclose, which is maybe an hour long, probably takes a hundred hours of work beforehand. Oh my um, gosh. Oh yeah. It's incredibly labor intensive. And so, you know, any case that I'm reporting on, I started on this two years ago, you know? So but but as you're scripting and you're plugging in, oh, this officer was here at this time and an hour later he went here and that's where this information, you know, oh, that moment's amazing because then you know actually what happened and where things went wrong. I mean, just because of the the Adnan case, I mean, I, that was the first time I started paying attention to cell phone towers. Why I mean, like, I mean, like everybody was like, I, I mean, the the amount of armchair detectives we have now because of that case and because of what you do, uh, do you find that that is, that is uh, you like that, or does sometimes that's distraction of we have too many people out there throwing theories all over? I mean, I've spent like hours reading Reddit threads that end up like leaving me more spooked than hopeful, like that that are like I I believe like I don't want to ever 
never believe in conspiracy theories, but it's all out there. Does that scare you or does that you're like, no, it's a good direction? I mean, look, it would only bother me if any of that could have like a real impact um, inside a courtroom, say. And it's not that it does. Sometimes it can have it. But for the most part, there are times when I will crowdsource like, you know, in Adnan's mm-hmm. case, the um, the victim had a really odd, uh, a number of odd um impressions on her shoulders on on two on one side and one on the other side we to this day haven't figured out what may cause those impressions but what we do know is that they were caused after she was killed and she had to be lying down face down on some on, on some object that made that impression because we haven't been able to figure it out we've put it out there numerous times saying does anybody have any ideas because you never know who's going to look at that and say wait a minute that's exactly the right size and shape of xyz uh, and i've actually found some amazing investigators who then i've There's people online who've said, you pose this question. I did some digging. I found all this stuff. And I'm like, "Uh, do you want to help me with this? (laughs) Um, So to me, it's a net positive. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, And I know this is uh, kind of a deeper question, but I I sometimes get frustrated uh, investing myself in these. Like I said, even with the Free Britney thing, and you're like, well... I know who knows if she's ever going to be free of this. There's like small movements. Do you still believe in the the law? Do you still believe in the justice system that we have? No system can be, I mean, look, all systems are made of of people. It's as simple as that. The system would work if you have the right people in the system. Um, And the interesting thing about how a wrongful conviction happens is that every part of the system has to fail. The police get it wrong. The prosecutors (laughs) get it wrong. Defense counsel gets it wrong. Jury gets it wrong. If one of those any one of those pieces of the system actually didn't fail, that would have, usually that would have been a safeguard um, to prevent the wrongful conviction. So I do believe, I think the system has issues, obviously, but I think the biggest problem in the system is the people running the system. I mean, it's career prosecutors, it's police officers who have well-documented histories of misconduct and still stick around on the force and still get to plant evidence and frame people. It's just that we are not holding um people accountable for their misdeeds. That's, that's yeah. the problem. It's not the system. It's the people. I think when I was a little kid and that's why it's like, you don't believe that anybody would ever plant evidence. You don't believe that like yeah. you, you just, cause you're told like, it's like your parents, you're told they're your parents. They're the adults that, you know, and then you realize they're people too. But that's, what's shocking to me is when you start to have to open up your mind to these things actually do happen. It's frightening. Oh, yeah. I didn't believe it. I mean, like I, when I, I practiced like, you know, law for 13, 14 years, um, but I was doing civil rights and immigration. I wasn't doing criminal justice. Even in that t- space, I had no idea what was happening inside the criminal justice system and how the law operated uh, in criminal courts, other than what I had seen with Adnan. And I actually thought what I had witnessed with Adnan when I was in law school was a one-off. Um, I didn't think that this was could be systematic. I also grew up with the Dateline in 2020 shows that lionized you know, the cops who got yeah. it right. And, and there are plenty of wonderful officers who get it right and who are very ethical and, and prosecutors as well. But it just takes a couple of bad ones to hurt people for decades. Um, uh, what do you, I mean, I, I've, like I said, I've followed your Twitter since, um, uh, you know, serial and you share so much of your life on it. Uh, but I also see, you know, there's, so much hate on Twitter there. I mean, it's like just sometimes a cesspool of, and I see you, I see people like I've seen weirdo podcasts come at you. I've seen weirdo, you know, like, and it's like, how do you, why do you, is it, is it just because the net positive is so much better than the the, the negative on there? Because sometimes it's just like people want to yell and scream and that's their forum and you do really yeah. well at it. But sometimes I'm like, why is this worth it for her? Yeah. I mean, the thing about Twitter for me, I, 
of all the social media platforms, like Twitter is my place because that's where I go for news. Um, I I want to know exactly what's happening. I'm just an information whore. <laughs> I want to <laughs> just. Can I quote you on that? Is that a? Yeah, that's a T-shirt. That. Yeah. Um, I I I don't even know if we're allowed to use that word anymore. Anyhow, I love to consume information. I'm constantly reading articles. I'm always reading the news. I want to be plugged in, and that's just how I. My I have a husband who will never watch the news. He doesn't want to know anything. He wants to know absolutely nothing that's happening in the world, and I can't operate like that. So, <laughs> Twitter just feeds that like need that I have of always knowing what's happening, and I also have a lot of diverse interests. Like I want to know about, uh, you know criminal justice stuff, but I also want to know about what's happening on the borders and what's happening in politics and what's happening in, in the great British baking show and all. Yeah. I've things. seen you cook. I've seen your weight loss. Yeah. I've seen all the, I, I mean, I feel yeah. like I know some of your family, like you really you open it up to everybody. I mean, but I, I, I appreciate that about you. It makes you a whole person. Uh, can I pitch a podcast of just a 10 minute podcast yeah. every night where you explain things to your husband? It's like, <laughs> what's going on in the world. Is that possible? You know, what's so funny. There's like uh, so Patrick and Patrick Hines, who I mentioned earlier, him and his co-host, they have this little thing where they, when they get stumped on something, they say, Rabia, how, and it's become a thing. They're not my fans. It is their fans, but their fans have this thing called Rabia, how I was like, I should just start like an Instagram, uh, like a weekly Instagram called Rabia, how, but that would be fun to explain stuff to my husband. <laughs> this poor man, this poor man will send me a story that I saw like four days ago. I'm like, yes, Baby, I really saw it. I'm like, just don't, don't try to, sh- don't try to share anything new with me. Cause it's not new anymore. Yeah. Have yeah. you heard of this Coney 2012? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> has no idea. Um, as we start wrapping up, uh, we, you know, you said you, um, you do, uh, you know, almost read these anthologies or watch these documentaries that, that are very intense. And you almost, I don't know if you said to do it to relax, but is there other things what are your escape uh, guilty pleasures? Is it just all that? I mean, you're not watching Housewives. You're not watching. No. Is there any? No, I'm not watching Housewives, but like I love Succession. I'm obsessed with like these horrible, horrible. Did you watch people. the first two episodes of the new season? Oh, yeah. Oh, the writing is just so insane. It's amazing. The characters are amazing. I hate and love every single one of them. Um, and I'm also, I think because like, we have some crazy family dynamics, um, especially among siblings. So I think any sh- bloodline I love, because again, it's like a sibling thing. I think any show that has like some really troubling sibling, sibling dynamics calls to me because I, I recognize it. Um, so, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I like all the shows that most people like the one thing I couldn't get into and I'm ashamed to admit this, but like, I don't know why my husband who is like a teddy bear loves Ted Lasso and I tried like three times to watch Ted Lasso. I was like, you know what? My soul is too dark. <laughs> it's, it's too positive. It's too, it's yeah. Th- Ted Lasso is too full of light and goodness. I'm like, I can't, I like Shit's Creek. You know, I love but see, Shit's Creek is another one that I like the sarcasm, but it, like, it was like a slow burn. Like there's these things yeah. that are slow burn where you're like, okay, now it's I got the rhythm and I like it. But yeah. Ted Lasso was like that for me too. Cause at first I was like, who's this asshole? Like, he's just all <laughs> positive. I don't like this guy. And then it kind of charms you by the Mary end. Poppins is not my groove. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's not my thing, but yeah, maybe I'm, will I give it a fourth shot? I don't know. We'll see. Well, <laughs> hey, that's another podcast. Robbie watches Ted Lasso and reviews every episode. Um, uh, what is coming up next? It feels like you have your hand in 80 things at all times and you make me ashamed to just be doing one podcast. What do we have uh, coming up in 2022 that we need to be paying attention uh, for? At any given time, I've capped myself with three podcasts. So Undisclosed uh, is going to go into 2021 or 2022. And then we might take a hiatus for a bit. Um, but again, this is the heart of my work. So I'm going to continue to do the wrongful conviction stuff. Nighty Night is a new storytelling podcast that has been so 
so much fun to do um, with cast media. And I've written a couple of the episodes and I've never written horror before, but there's something deeply cathartic about being able to do and say anything you want because <laughs> it's fiction, <laughs> horror fiction. So that's been a lot of fun. And all, all the stories are based on like some kind of true life, real life event um, or incident. And then I have um, my new book, Fatty Fatty Boom Boom, which is a memoir about food, fat and family that's coming out, I think next fall. Um, and hopefully we'll be bringing it on home. <laughs> uh, and then I have a, another podcast that um, has recently gotten picked up that uh, hopefully we'll start producing early next year, but I'm not allowed to say a word about it, but it'll be a lot of fun. You can say it here. It's fine. Um, uh, and is there a, no, that's not true. No, no, but um, how dare you, Robbie? Um, no, um, I'm a horrible human being. <laughs> is there any uh, TV projects from these podcasts? I know, uh, you know, you had the HBO show. I, I, I think there's like huge room for that. You know, is, are you very particular of like, I just like the podcast format. Some people are like that. They're very uh, sacred so look, with that. To be honest, a couple of years ago, you know, we did do some pitches um, to to take undisclosed because I mean, we have, yeah. a ton of, we have a ton of IP and it's just like, honestly, at that time, the network executives were telling us we're not so much into like innocence anymore. Do you have some serial killers for us or something? And so, you know, we're like, well, we don't really right now, but maybe we'll get That's back. That's so to interesting. Yeah, you know, there's a season for everything, and uh, and what there, sells? Yeah, what sells? And so, no, I don't really. Um, so, like recently, Sundance um, on AMC, they did an episode on in a new series about my, one of my cases that I covered a couple years ago. But you know, I was happy to give them all the material they needed, and and I also interviewed for it because I'm trying to help this defendant come home. But that wasn't my project. I just um, I just welcomed their exposure on the case. But other than that, I have nothing going on in the TV space. And honestly, I've got a face made for podcasting. So it's fun. no, that's not true. And you <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, I'm excited to actually look at uh, your journey, the fatty. I mean, like, uh, I, I thought, uh, I mean, didn't you lose a great deal of weight? Like, yeah, I've lost. A, well, you know, like I at my lowest, I lost about 70. And now I've gained back about 10 of that, um, which COVID, I mean, hello, whatever. So. Yeah, about yeah. 70 pounds I had lost. And and it's been a lifelong journey. Of, oh, oh, it's. Yeah, me too. Really every, bad. every, I mean, I gained the COVID 50 or something like, you know, it was like, no, the, not bad, but I mean, it felt like that. It was like, Oh, yeah. cool. Like, you know, it, it, and how we digested media during that time, it was yeah. just, that was everything. Just lay yeah. on your bed and eat and drink yeah. and watch. I mean, a lot of this, and I hope the book reflects this. I mean, it's been interesting working. My editor is really confused. She's like, you talk about weight loss, but you talk about how much you love food and you include recipes. I'm like, yes, yes. All of that is true. And it's especially true for people who have weight issues. Cause we do like food. I mean, that's <laughs> the, the honest truth. So, and most of the journey is just about being able to find like kind of what's the right place for me instead of starving myself, pushing myself, where am I really happy? Where's my joy and um, where I've landed and at this age finally. So. Well, I think you've landed in such an amazing place. You inspire a lot of people, including me. Uh, it has been an honor to talk to you today. Really, I cannot imagine, I cannot believe that I got to talk to you. So thank you so much for all of your time, because really this, this lady does everything. If you know her, and I know a lot of you guys do, you see how busy she is. So thank you for taking this time. Um, and, and, um, we're very passionate about the Adnan case as well, as well as everything that you do. So you guys, if you don't go follow and support, she is doing amazing, amazing work. And was one of the best podcasters out there and one of the best twatter tweeters out there too. So, um, uh, but Robbie Ashadri, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It has been so much fun. I really appreciate it. 
wasn't she great? That was uh, that was so uh, that was so fun to do. That was so amazing to do. And I love that this podcast. And sometimes, I mean, it focuses on reality shows, but also it focuses on pop culture. And she really fits into that pop culture part of it. But the work that she does is so amazing. But like we said, it's just very interesting. Uh, in today's age, how all of this real life stuff and, and these cases and stuff like that become part of the pop culture consciousness. So uh, real quick, we're going to do some commercials and then we'll be right back afterwards because I got to share with you guys the uh, the Teddy Mellencamp Dorit interview. Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I got to tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from 30 performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. But I need to do a couple of advertisements for some products that I actually genuinely love and use. The first one, of course, is our good friends, Bolin Branch. Now, um, you know how important my family is to me. The importance of family and friends, uh, it means the world to me. And uh, as we near the holidays, uh, gift giving is a great way to show your family and your friends how much you love them. And this year, uh, I'm actually going to give my parents bowl and branch sheets. Uh, and I'm going to use the discount that they actually give me. But these sheets are amazing. Uh, they say we spend one third of our lives in bed. So pure organic cotton sheets from bowl and branch make a truly special gift. They make the highest quality sheets by doing things the right way, not the easy way. Husband and wife team Scott and Missy Tannen founded Bolin Branch to create a new standard in bedding by doing things the right way, not the easy way. Bolin Branch holds themselves to high standards across the board, from sourcing pure organic cotton to putting workers' rights first. And it's not just their sheets that are made the right way. Their pillows, their bath towels, they even have robes, you guys. Uh, signature hemmed sheets are their all-time bestseller. That's what I have, and I love them. They're beloved for so many reasons, like how they get softer and softer with every single wash. Buttery soft, lightweight, and made with 100% organic cotton weave that feels incredible 
incredible in all seasons. And it feels really good right now because it's starting to get cold in Los Angeles, and I love it. Uh, it comes in a wide range of colors, all sizes, from twin up to a California king. Also, completely toxin-free and fair trade certified. So treat yourself and your loved ones to the new standard in bedding from Bolin Branch. Their gifts come wrapped and ready in their special holiday packaging and order by December 19th for guaranteed delivery by Christmas. Best deals of the year going on now from November 1st to November 11th. So you got like three more days, you guys, with promo code SOBAD at BolandBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code so bad. Uh, and exclusions may apply. So Bull and Branch, I love Bull and Branch. Now this next one, they are new, but I don't think they know this. I already got this for my mom uh, a year and a half ago. It is called Storyworth. So this holiday season, um, I actually did this, like I said, about a year and a half ago, and I did it for my mom's birthday. Um, and I wanted to give my mom something that showed her how much I loved her and how much um, that I appreciate her story and wanted to know more about her story. Um, I wanted to do something that made her feel special and unique. Um, and I kind of like the relationship that we share. Um, and that's why I gave her StoryWorth. Uh, StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It is a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matters most. Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you never thought to ask, like, uh, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or, if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? And I did this for my mom, and she told her, like she told... We have now a 100-page book with pictures because you can add pictures into this. I have my own copy of Becky Bailey's Life Story, and we have one for my niece and nephew, and uh, I, it's just really touching. I, I, I should post some of this on my Instagram one day because it really genuinely is one of the coolest things, and my mom took it so seriously. Each week, she would be working on this, and it gave her something to work on, and she was, like, thinking about memories, she said, um, and, you know, her mom and dad had passed away, and she was thinking about them, and it just, it was so cool, and it did exactly what I had hoped it it, it would do. Um, so after one year, StoryWorth will compile all of your loved one's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you will be able to share and revisit for generations to come. Uh, and I have it in my room right now. I can show it to you. It is bad. It is beautiful. Uh, you can get black and white photos. You can do color photos. It is so cool. Um, and they would send me her weekly stories that she wrote. So I got to kind of check in on my mom every week. Uh, so you get to read their weekly stories. And it kind of just helped me connect with my mom for that uh, for that year. Um, so with StoryWorth, I am giving those I love most a thoughtful personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. I kind of want to give one to my dad, but then I kind of don't want to like make my mom jealous because it was like my mom's thing for so long, you know? Um, but I do strongly suggest you do this for your loved ones. So go to StoryWorth.com slash so bad and save $10 on your first purchase. That's StoryWorth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R 
rth.com slash so bad to save $10 on your first purchase. And I'm serious, guys. Remind me if anybody wants to see my book, um, I can post it on my Instagram or send you uh, a picture of it. It really genuinely is uh, one of the coolest things I own. Uh, our last and final one is uh, it's called Best Fiends. Now, uh, I, I think I've talked recently, I have been playing um, this mobile game. Uh, I like mobile games because they kind of like, um, like if I fly or something, like I'll play solitaire or something like that. But Best Fiends is awesome. It's like match three. It's like a casual uh, mobile puzzle game. And I totally dig it. So in my humble but correct opinion, as you guys know, uh, everybody can have their opinion, but mine is the right one. It is the best match three style game by far. Uh, the rest are basically the same game with like different color schemes. So stop crushing the same old candy. Try a puzzle game with something fresh to offer. With Best Fiends, you play through an actual storyline complete with good guys, the fiends, and the not-so-good guys, the slugs. Um, the slugs are kind of like Erica Jane. Uh, your fiends start out as wee baby versions of their future selves, and the more you play, the more fiends join your team, and the more powerful they become, helping you solve increasingly challenging puzzles as you progress through the game. It's an action-packed adventure and a brain-boosting puzzle game all rolled into one. And with new can it has new content added all the time, so you are never bored. Uh, so not to bag, but I am pretty far along. Um, I, uh, I'm I'm pretty good. That's all I'm going to say. I got to a pretty high level. I don't want to brag. Uh, I'm going to take, I could take all you guys on. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Best Fiends has literally thousands of levels with more added all the time. And it's one of those things I can't put it down. I'll be playing it uh, while I watch reality shows. <laughs> And uh, I'll just be doing 10 things at once. And this is one of those things. Uh, and uh, it's one of those things your kids would probably dig too. But like, you know, they have their own games. This is this is your game. Uh, there's always a fresh challenge waiting for me when I need a mental pick-me-up or a break from podcasting. So download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. And uh, that's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Uh, you guys, thank you so much for listening to those commercials today. And now back to the show. Um, okay, so uh, as, by the way, they are they are in such full swing filming the new season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills already. And it's very upsetting. They should not be going back. Like, they're doing cast trips already. They're doing, I mean, like, it, it's, it's too much because I'm seeing it all online or on Instagram. I know friend of the pod, uh, the Zen Blonde, was over at Sutton Store tonight. Um, they were they were shooting there, and she said um, that supposedly Garcelle and Crystal might not be getting along. So that's a little bit of a spoiler, and that the cast trip was coming up. Now Rina was not there, unfortunately. Um, uh, her mom, uh, from what uh, Lisa's Instagram said, unfortunately, her mom has had another stroke, and she used the word, you know, um, you know, pray for her in her time of transitioning, which is never a word you want to hear. So uh, she has always been. Uh, I love Lisa's mom on the show. I I think she has always been just amazing. So truly, uh, you know, in, in my thoughts, uh, and prayers genuinely that, that is just so very sad. Um, but, but so I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Dorit home invasion, but also in the fact that Teddy, Teddy, remember Teddy Mellencamp, she was, a I think like a, uh, she had a couple episodes, uh, as a housewife. Um, but, uh, I feel like she's kind of used, 
uh, this home invasion as a way to kind of like put her like to get herself back in like some sort of spotlight and I don't know who the hell thought this was a good idea, but Extra, the entertainment news show Extra, has hired her as a special correspondent, and she is their housewives correspondent. So pretty much she's just interviewing Beverly Hills housewives. And I got to say, she's not good at it. She's not great. I mean, luckily she has somebody like Dorit to interview. This is a seven-minute interview, so obviously this was online. It did not make it all to air. I don't know if any of it made it to air, but Dorit, as she always has been, you know, even in the home invasion, which is a horrific thing, and some of the details she says are just horrifying, but like we know with Dorit, she really made, um, you know, she really extended this interview. Like she go, you know, Dorit has never had a hard time coming up with um, like, I would like to tell you, boop, 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 about my home invasion. Um, it, it really is like she keeps going and Teddy doesn't, Teddy, you'll, you'll hear tries to throw in of like, yeah, it's like this and this. And she's, I'm sorry, I am not going to get behind the Teddy train. I know Teddy has like a handful of like super fans and I find it so like, what are we... I, I <laughs> it's it's even more mystifying to me than uh, standing Erica Jane because I'm like what okay what exactly so are you standing the 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 cult like diet that like is really harmful and dangerous where she was letting girl like telling like making girls eat you know like do not eat more than you know so many calories a day and it was like you would have to text Teddy and like master can I have a piece of celery no fatty. Um, it's just not, it, it, it's proven to be a very dangerous diet. And there is one lady that I keep, I'm trying to get her on. She said yes, but I was going to change her voice that is, that did this and had very, you know, it was a very bad situation, uh, doing this program. And I, you know, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I would be okay with Teddy coming back on the show if it was a Teddy takedown season and they focused on the diet. And they like they asked real questions, and I'd also like to like to know a lot more about Edwin, her husband's security firm that seems like it has has some really bad bad business practices. But Teddy, whoever her new manager is, it's it's like she's like the reality star version of Kendall Jenner. Like the things that she chooses to be a part of are just whacked out. Like I never thought. Uh, oh, okay, uh, extra correspondent. I could see Teddy knocking that out of the park. No, she doesn't have the charisma of a Mario Lopez or a Maria Menounos. Menounos? Menounos? Menounos. Um, no, she doesn't have that. And then the other thing, she has a true crime pod that me and Sophie talked about a couple weeks ago. Once again, did not see that. Like, I, uh, Teddy's never been... Teddy seems like Teddy's never been a true crime fan, so it's weird to see her hop on bandwagons where I'm just like, she... She just, I feel like she really, really, really wants to be in the public eye. And she will, uh, I don't know. It just, you know, those kind of vibes you get from people. My vibe of Teddy, and I don't know if you guys feel this way, is she just likes to insert herself. If there is something out there, you know, involving a camera or 
friends that are potentially more famous than her, she's going to be there and she's going to potentially use her dad as some, you know, as somebody like kind of like, you know, Kyle, by the way, the reason Kyle even started to be really good friends with her because Kyle loves music. Kyle loves John Mellencamp. Kyle loves Boy George. I still feel like Kyle's nice to Dorit and Teddy just because of the music connections. No joke. Now, we have to be careful on how we talk about this because PK is lashing out at anybody that suggests that this this home invasion is fake in any way. And I totally get that. And and like I said before, I personally believe uh, I don't think this is fake. I think there's some things that are very weird to me involving this case. Um, and and uh, But the other thing is, I think that is a thing that what I would hope PK as he's lashing out and potentially doxing people, which is giving their personal information online, I, I would hope that he would understand is that like we have precedent to believe this. Like there is, there, you know, Jen Shaw on Real Housewives of Salt Lake this past Sunday lied within 10 seconds of hearing the cops were after her. She made up an excuse of Coach Sharif has internal bleeding. Like lied, not even, didn't even bat an eye. Looked cool as a cucumber while doing it. It it just rolled off her tongue like this amazing lie that it was. So I'm sorry, we live in a day and age, and especially in these shows, where these women have lied repeatedly. So I don't know, I feel like it's primed us, especially in this last couple of years, to believe, like, to, to, to not be able to trust any of these ladies. To believe that they're playing a very long game, that there are criminals involved. It, it, it's just what we have now been conditioned to see in these shows. I have always thought, though, with Dorit and especially with the kids, why would you ever, ever, ever do anything like this? It just doesn't seem like Dorit doesn't seem like the person to kind of lie this grandly. I mean, PK does. I mean, th that was the other horrifying thing I had read was that, um, you know, oh, PK is the one that did it. Didn't even tell Dorit. And uh, PK had had this set up. And I, I just that's too fantastic as well. It just makes no sense. Now, if you guys watch the black and white footage of the, the video tape, the only thing that is weird is these guys, you'll see the guys in the camp, they talk for a long time before they go in. And that to me is weird. You would think these guys would have a plan. They knew where supposedly that what they were after. Why did they talk so long before they broke in? Why would they do that in front of like video cameras too? You would think people that do this are trained somewhat. This isn't just a I mean, this is a targeted attack, right? So why stand in front of video cameras and talk for a great deal before you break the, the, the window to get in? These are all things that I'm just curious about. And we're going to hear a little bit more in this interview. Now, Dorit, she is very fanciful. She very much explains the tragedy. Boop, pop, boop, 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 boop. Um, and we're going to listen to the story. Uh, I am not... Uh, it is really a tragic story. And uh, I just... I do... What I did find myself listening to, and I want you to pay attention to, is Dorit's accent during this. Because when you don't see the visual, you just hear the 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 accent. It's kind of I I became fascinated with the lilt of like listening to the accent and words and stuff like that, and kind of have been amazed at how much her accent and, and words have changed over the years. But I just want you to pay attention to um, you know, to our new news anchor. Teddy, Freddie Mellencamp, and let's see what you think, okay? Here we go. How are you doing? 
You know, it's funny because I get asked that question more times than I've ever had my whole life. Um, I am trying to put one foot in front of the other. It's coming in waves. Yeah. It's very raw. Um, but you know what? I, I have to keep things as normal as possible for my kids because I got really lucky. And I know I've told you the story and I know that you know I fought for my mine and my kids' lives. And I got lucky. And I got lucky. And after that, no matter what that experience was, for the days that followed, I just kept thanking God that I got out of there. And my kids didn't wake up and they don't know anything about it. How do you think that you stayed so calm? Well, I think, first of all, I was completely taken off guard. Yeah. Um, like when, when they came in, are you able to like talk about that moment? I mean, you told me and like it immediately, like tears. I, I can't even imagine that feeling. No. Now, to me, it sounds like Teddy Mellencamp is um, uh, feeling this harder than Dorit is at this point. It sounds like she is close to weeping. And uh, it's a it's a definite interview tactic is a technique, if you will. But uh, I found that fascinating from and this is just this is reporter to reporter. I'm just I'm just giving her some tips is that maybe don't cry harder than the person you're interviewing right up top. Oh, they listen, there were a lot of a lot of things that happened that are pretty unbelievable. Like, number one. My husband was in London, and when my husband's away, my kids sleep in my bed all the time. Yeah. We had, my kids and I just came back from London, and I was so jet-lagged and so exhausted, and I put my daughter to sleep in my bed. And then I thought, you know what? I really need a good night's sleep. And I picked her up, and I put her in her bedroom. And we were all so tired, and I thank God for that, because these babies ended up sleeping through what their mother went through. And the only thing I prayed for was, please, please, God, once I have to back up because it's difficult. I've told this story, obviously, yeah. so many times. This is the first time. And I have to be very careful because it is an ongoing investigation. Yeah. But they were very surprised to see me at home. Very. And so when they did, they wanted, they pushed me to the ground and they said, who else is in the house? I'm not going to use the curse words they used. Right. But there was someone else that said, just kill her. Just kill her already. Just kill her. And all I could think was, I have to save these babies. I begged them. And I begged for my life. And I begged for their life. And I said, I don't care about any of it. Take it all. I don't care about any of it. You can have it all. Please. I'm a mother. I have little babies. Please, they need me. Please don't hurt me. When I got up. And during this entire process, all I kept thinking was, please don't let those babies wake up. Please don't let them see their mother in this situation. But I stayed very, very calm because I knew they were very panicked. And if I didn't, the situation could have gone a lot worse. Beyond. How? I don't know. I grew up with an Israeli paratrooper of a father and I'm a mama bear. Now I kind of want to see, uh, I want to see like the Dorit, the teen years, like an Israeli paratrooper. Like what? I need more about that. Like, 
I've been trained by Israeli paratroopers. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Like if those guys came in and greet, like all of a sudden, like was like Kung Fu. But I will, I said this uh, a couple weeks ago. If one of those home invaders had touched a hair on my precious Jagaloo's heads, I would have lost my shit. Now, I'm only making jokes to kind of cover up the horror of that is that I would have shat myself if people like, okay, here's the other thing I don't get. The guys were saying, killer, why don't you kill her already? Kill her already? Like, home invaders, like, kill her already? Like, what? Was that just to scare her? Because usually home invaders want to get the shit and get out. They don't. I mean, to me, that just is blowing my mind that they were going, they wanted to kill her. They were going to kill her and she begged. And then part of me was like, did they just want her to stop talking? Were they like, fine, lady, you can live. Just shut the hell, you know, like, was she just like, another thing, please let me live. And I want to tell you the story about, um, but it just, I mean, I can't even imagine that situation. Like, that is so scary. And that's the other thing. Like, man, if I... that I, I said this. Uh, that, that's like my, my worst nightmare as a kid was like burglars. Like, I can't imagine ever being able to sleep again if something like this happened. And for me, the only thing that mattered was my children. And I mean, I saw you the next day. And for sure the next day, like, I could tell that you were still in shock. Guys, it's me, Teddy Mellencamp. I saw her the next day. I was there too. I participated in all of this as well. I could tell from the look on your face that you were very much in shock because I, Teddy Mellencamp, was there. But, like, you still, you were able to remain calm. Like, we saw your kids and they have no idea what's going on. No idea. Do you know? That's another thing that kind of, like, I was like, they, they have no idea? So the kids still have no idea? Like, I was trying to think back when I was a kid of, like, like, I remember when my parents would fight as a kid. Like, I was very aware of that. Like, I was very sensitive to that. Like, kids can pick up on things. So, I wonder if they really have no idea that this happened or they know something happened. But, like, just the fact that, like, I mean, the kids saw this big, the, you guys saw the broken glass window. It was like the big sliding glass door. They busted that huge window of glass. Like, what did they, like, yes. Ah, the wind, the Encino wind blew all of the glass from that window. The, I had a gigantic pasta for Buca de Beppo and my fart broke the glass. Oh, what a blessing that is. I do. Like, they have no idea. No. And they woke up and they went to school and they're homeschooled. So they didn't go to school where, because the next day everybody knew about it, where kids were asking what happened and what happened. So they've been contained in our normal life. Um, they're used to people coming in and out of the house. It's the way they grew up. Um, so I've, I've managed to keep it as normal as possible for them while I'm working through what's happening in me physically. Well, speaking of working, you had to jump right back into filming Housewives. How has that been? And have the ladies been supportive? Beyond supportive. And I will say this, you know, I didn't have to do anything. Um, it was a choice that I made. Production's been incredible. Um, I've had an outpouring of love and support. I mean, more than I could have ever, ever, ever dreamed. And in some regard, it's, you know, it's very difficult because you can't respond to everybody. Yeah. But when you see this, the love and support that you have around you, it, it really gives you a sense of commitment 
to tell your story. And that's what I'm doing and why I went straight back into filming immediately. And they're with me tracking this process. And this is going to be a process and a long one. It's going to be a long process. A process for three seasons. They cannot fire me for three seasons. Boop, bop, boop, 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 boop. Old Dorit has a storyline now. No, I will no longer be making wedding dresses. I will be following this process of the judicial system and catching burglars. Wouldn't that be amazing if the whole season is like Dorit, like tracking these people down? Like, it's like she's all in black and she's like, you know, going on like in alleyways and stuff of like, I need to know if you've seen this man. <laughs> she's just going to like Chinatown bars like, ah, dirty Randy, we meet again. I hear you have information that could lead to the arrest of these two men. Where are my fake Hermes bags, please? Boop, 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 boop. Um, also, you know, I just I love the thought of like I went right back into filming the reality show of living my life. <laughs> I mean there is something like weirdly you know what I'm saying? It's not like this is like a job like I used to have or you guys like where you go into an office nine to five, you know, you're Dorit's doing things that are supposedly in her real life. So like she's getting paid to do her real life. It's like Erica Jane, like I'm all for being able to see this process. I think it's going to be fascinating. I'm also really curious about how the other women react to this. They said they've been incredibly supportive, but this will be a Dorit-heavy season, then I would imagine. I mean, if it isn't, I mean, that would be wild if they still made her a friend of. They're like, yeah, and uh, Dorit, you know, she, uh, some, she got some stuff stolen. Anyways, Kyle, what have you been up to? That I know. And then how do you handle, like, the negativity through social media? Like, the people like the Dana Wilkies out there who are trying to get fame from... The Dana Wilkies out there. How, trying to get fame from... You mean, Teddy, you mean exactly what you're doing? You literally went to People Magazine, that like, two days after the Dorit thing, and it was like, I was there the morning after. Like, you called your publicist to get in articles about this. Like, I'm sorry. Like, Dana Wilkie... She's on the pod, but I, I texted Dana earlier tonight. I was like, wow, superstar got brought up in a Teddy Mellencamp interview. And, you know, you run the risk of doing any of this kind of stuff because a lot of it's rumor and conjecture. And at the end of the day, you're doing this stuff because it's sort of fun. Gossip is fun. Of course, you want to be careful and respectful to a degree. But sometimes these ladies are so silly that it's hard to do that. Um, but I find it like you know, like the the pod calling the kettle black or whatever that, that stupid saying is, you know, Teddy, Teddy, we don't, your opinion of all is wild. And for you to name a specific name is hysterical. You are giving Dana so much attention that I know she is loving all of this. You know, other people's tragedy. I can tell you this right now. I'm not on social media very much. Um, I'm trying to take day by day. I've been on a reality show for, this is my sixth year, so I know that there's negativity out there. This is a very different situation. Right now, I don't have the capacity to absorb any, to absorb any of those negative comments or naysayers or whatever. Um, 
for me, it's about putting one foot in front of the other and doing what I need to do to really heal. And you're putting in the work to do that. Yes. And, you know, I, we, I was talking with Eric about how we hung out last night. We, we dra- dra- dragged you out with us. Guys, I, Teddy Mellencamp, was out with Erica last night. I, I, I'm out with all of the cast all the time. It would only make sense if I got back on the show, right? Right? That's all I do is try to get go to things with you guys. We're real friends, right? Right? I dra- <laughs> but we had so much fun, but there's definitely the waves. Like, Oh, there's the waves. Healing and trauma is a lot. Absolutely. And I'm learning. Feelings and traumas is a lot. You know, it, I, it, just a... It, it, I mean, she's finding her footing as a reporter and all that, but there's just a lackadaisicalness of this where it's like, I, you just, she's not the most comfortable in front of a microphone, you know? So you don't necessarily gravitate towards her. And of course, you're trying to put the attention on the person you're interviewing, but it's, it's almost like you would cut her out entirely and just use the sound bites of Dorit. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't need Teddy in this at all. You just need to read sound bites. Because I've never gone through something like this. And because of the outcome, I'm really able to wake up every morning and remember, I'm lucky. I am blessed. I can handle this. If it was my kids, it's a different situation. I don't know if I would have gone back to filming. I don't know where I'd be. And I certainly wouldn't have been singing and dancing with you guys last night. But I'll tell you. As I said to you last night, that hour that we were laughing and dancing and having fun was exactly what I needed. It was therapy. It was therapy. It was a form of therapy that is equally as important. Because when you can step out of your head, whether it's dancing and singing with Teddy Mellencamp, his therapy, boop, 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 boop. With Erica Jane, dancing and laughing and singing. Yay! Also, you can hear in the background right there, you should. Uh, you can hear Garcelle and Sutton cracking up, like, in the other room. Because they're at this event for Kyle's, uh, I think, Kyle's Shahidi dress line thing. So you can hear them in the background, which is hysterical. Two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, two hours. And you are surrounded by people that you love, that you trust, that you feel comfortable with, that can make you laugh. Let me tell you something, it does something to the soul, and I need that, because I have enough moments now where the panic attacks are coming, and feeling safe, how am I ever going to feel safe again? How do I protect my children? What are the right things to do? I'm going through all of it, but we can speak in three months, six months, who knows? You'll you'll never forget, but the beauty is, your kids don't even, they don't even have to know. No. Right now, no. Yeah. And that is the first and most important thing on my mind right now. Thank you for watching. If you want more extra, hit the subscribe button and the bell so you'll never miss a video. I will not be hitting the subscribe button, Mr. Billy Bush. Thank you so much. That was Teddy Bellingham. Um, Wow, you guys. I, I thought that was fascinating to hear, and I'm... Um, the panic attacks was uh, interesting, too, so I'm sure I'm wondering if we'll see any of that. Um, so I thought I wanted you to hear Teddy. The thing is, though, it's like Teddy is just so middle of the road that it's even hard to like, you know what I'm saying? It's like you kind of just the thirst with Teddy is the funny thing. Like it's hard to even pick apart because there's nothing really there to, to pick apart. you know, like it's just it's just like Teddy. It's just like there, you know, it's like, OK, OK, 
Uh, anyways, a couple other news stories before we let you go. Uh, I'm going to go a couple minutes longer here since I uh, wasn't here yesterday. Some big entertainment news. Now, I don't usually talk about 90 Day Fiance uh, and the whole 90 Day Fiance universe, which is just if the government ever does get involved, I hope that they can get it to a point where 90 Day Fiance is only allotted three hours of television a week. I think now they have like 12 hours a week or something insane. There's 90 Day Fiance the other way, 90 Day Fiance the single life, 90 Day Fiance Electric Boogaloo, just too many 90 Day Fiances. But there was a char- there is a character on 90 Day Fiance the single life called Big Ed. And he's the guy that kind of looks like Randall Emmett, but he's a little better looking than Randall. Tiny guy, has like a neck issue. Um, but uh, you guys know who he is, I'm sure. You, or you've seen his picture. So big news, Big Ed is engaged, you guys. Yes, he is engaged. I am not married or anything like that, but Big Ed is engaged. 90 Day Fiance star 56 proposes to girlfriend Liz Woods, 29, one day after getting back together. He's quoted as saying, she's my forever. <laughs> um, so his journey, their journey, has been chronicled on the Discovery Plus spinoff, The Single Life, proposed on November 7th, just one day after the pair reconnected following a brief split, People Magazine reports. Um, they had a whirlwind engagement weekend this week. How do you break up with somebody and then get... I mean, that that's wild. Uh, the pair only recently reconnected after breaking up on season one of The Single Life, but their journey together will be chronicled on the upcoming season two, which premieres Friday, November 12th. Ed detailed how the power pair found their way back together while speaking with People's Reality Check. By the way, Sandra, we need to get Big Ed on. We Maybe, you know what, should I dip into 90 Day a little bit? I wouldn't mind interviewing some of these. If, if, if he's doing Reality Check, you know, I, I could definitely... Sandra, let's try to get Big Ed... He, uh, I would love to talk to him. He says, about a month before we got back together, I realized that I really didn't appreciate who she was and I don't want to love anybody else. And never in a million years did I think I would ever be together with Liz. It's just surreal. What is that? And never in a million years did I think that I would ever be together with Liz. I didn't think I'd be together with such a crap head. <laughs> hey, no way. Uh, he added that it took a lot of self-reflection and self-improvement to win her back as he realized he didn't treat her right the first time. I wasn't a good person. I wasn't a good boyfriend. I didn't treat Liz like she deserved to be treated. I wasn't a good listener. That was all about me. I was so consumed with myself. Now, I have watched some of their stuff on this, and I, I, I was... I was like, how is this happening? Like, how are they together? How is she with him? No offense to Big Ed. He's got his charm, but like, wow. And then like the, the episode I had seen with them, he got upset at her because she was talking to one of her guy friends at a bar. It was just weird. Uh, when the pair split up, Liz admitted to having bad depression over the matter. I struggled a lot when we broke up. I went through a really bad depression stage and also wiped her feed of all images of the pair. But an unexpected tragedy brought them together as after the loss of his beloved dog, Teddy, Liz reached out to him and the pair slowly began to talk over email. After she agreed to meet him for dinner this past Saturday, following several months of communication, he asked Liz, am I your forever? To which she said, yes. That is wild, you guys. 
Don't even think about it. If you don't even know this couple, think about that in just terms of just real, your actual reality. Now, you break up with somebody. You don't think you're going to have any communication. You start talking again. Then after months of like talking over text or whatever, you meet out for the first time. And then you ask, hey, am I your forever to this person? And they say yes. Wow. Um, so... He goes, and then she ended up after that leaving for work. And I did a beeline to the jewelry store and bought the biggest diamond I could find. I love that. I made a beeline for Zales. No, I mean, also, I made a beeline to the jewelry store. I like, was his thought, I need to lock this down before she changes her mind? Um, back, and Liz put on a post back together on Saturday, engaged on Sunday. Man, I would love to interview her parents. Of their future together, he gushed, I couldn't be happier. I know in my heart that she's my right now. No, no, she's my forever. And that's all I need to know. I don't want to be with anybody else. I don't want to think about anybody else. Well, that should be easy. But the pair are not rushing down the aisle. As Liz told the publication, we have a lot on our plates right now. So trying to think about a wedding is really hard. But we're in the works, discussing it and moving forward with our plans. Guys, this just happened three days, like two days ago. Just chill out. Um... On the show, he lied about his 4'11 height before meeting her. Oh, God. Anyways, so congratulations to the happy couple. Uh, it's it's fun when love works. All of that is amazing. Uh, let's see. In Kardashian news, which I started the show was saying they need to take a break. But you know these Kardashians don't take a break because it is party season, baby. Khloe Kardashian throws niece Dream, that's Rob's daughter, a Barbie birthday bash as daughter of Rob Kardashian and Black China turns five. And the pictures are insane. Just so many balloons. Happy birthday, Dream. And I guess that's, you know, it's so funny. Rob is probably richer than all of us combined, right? But I always think of Rob as the black sheep and the one that has no money. And, you know, like, therefore, like, Dream is, like, always from the wrong side of the tracks, you know? Like, I always think, like, they're on food stamps. When in reality, like I said, goodbye and sell us ten times over. But uh, it's always nice. Like, I always think, like, does Dream, like, Annie, Chloe, can I stay with you, please? Um, I, These, I, this is just... Uh, it just, you wonder if they're doing this out of the goodness or their heart or if they're doing this for content so they can put it on their Instagram stories, which, uh, of course, Chloe did. So they had a little jewelry making party. Uh, they, you know, big Barbie bash. They had a Barbie photo booth. Um, and it looked like they, yeah, they were like making little jewelries and stuff. So uh, great. Congratulations for turning five out there, Dream. Thank you for being more successful than I am. Uh, at this point in my life, um, I'm much older than you. Uh, <laughs> oh, God hurt me. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Um, and I think that's, uh, yeah, that's actually going to be it for today. So a couple things. I um, On the Patreon, I just did two episodes today that I released that I actually really both great conversations. The first is with Patreon member Eleanor Jordan. Eleanor is amazing. She lives in Atlanta. Uh, has worked at record stores, loves music, loves all the reality shows that we do. And there's a, uh, a level of the Patreon where you can come be on the show if you want to. And she was, and she was great. And I loved getting to know more about her. And she just really is uh, one of the coolest ladies. So that's out there. And we talk about like Salt Lake this week, Beverly Hills, Potomac, and uh, a bunch of other stuff. And it was just really, it was actually one of the funner conversations I've had this week. Uh, also, Real Housewives of Miami, 
We were, me and Maritza Lopez were recapping that. We started back up today. We're at season two, episode seven, and this episode, you guys, is a banger. Uh, Joe Francis from Girls Gone Wild fame is in this. It's called Bars and Brawls, part one. They're having a lingerie party at Lisa Hochstein's house. And if you are not caught up on Real House of the Miami, you got to get there, you guys, because they're rebooting the series for Peacock. It comes out very soon. And it's just a great housewife's franchise that I had never watched up until this point. So we recap the whole show. And of course, we had like a half hour before that of me and Meditza just shooting the shit. And uh, she asked me some very sexy questions, some very personal things that I, I answer. Um, <laughs> it's, it's wild. So baddies out there, Patreon, thank you guys so much for being a part of that. Also, if you can find it in your heart, if you like this, this show or what I'm doing, please leave me a five-star uh, review on Apple Podcasts. And, um, uh, and also somebody, can somebody just help me get organized already? I'm so disorganized. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Uh, but I'm going to talk to you on Friday again. So I'll wish you a, a great rest of the week then as well. And that's it, you guys. I, I hope you have a great day today. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Betches.